pause. Well, if it's good for young people's mental health to not have this, what about the rest of us? I mean, and and the Chinese talk about the mental health aspects of this too mm. in with their rules. If that mental health is so important and such a big influence on young people, then surely it's, it's something all of us should be concerned about. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and great to have Bill Bennett joining us again. How are you, Bill? I'm good, Paul. Great to have you back in the studio again. For any listeners that aren't familiar with you, maybe you can fill folks in or where you fit into this big, bad world of tech? Well, I've been a technology journalist for a long time now, probably 40-plus years now, um, and um, I still do some of that. Do I do some more general news reporting and um, uh, business news and so on, and that's basically me. <laughs> yeah, always good to get your your thoughts and opinions on, on what's going on in the tech world, uh, Bill, so looking forward to jumping in. Some pretty interesting topics on you know both a, a local sort of New Zealand front where we, we you know tap into a little bit of what's happening in the, the aerospace world, some some other things uh, locally in, in tech, and then um, you know some some big global topics, and uh, one of those relates to uh, relates to to China, which could could be a really big deal. So. Um, fascinated to, uh, to to hear your opinions on those. Uh, before we go any further, though, a big thank you to our show partners, uh, to One NZ, Two Degrees, Spark NZ, HP, and Gorilla Technology uh, for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and uh, and of course their involvement in the the broader uh, technology sector um, here in New Zealand. So first up, uh, Bill, wanted to talk to you around the um, the airspace integration trials and WISC. Now this um, this sort of jumped to my attention uh, in the last few days because uh, you know WISC who are, who are, have been working on their autonomous air taxi technology now for well, I think well probably well over over a decade sort of in total since you know since its early days initial uh, funding coming from uh, one of the Google uh, co-founders uh, we you know we but in a, in a you know in a good turn of events um, you know a chunk of their activity is, is, has taken place uh, and their testing taken place uh, in New Zealand um, but yeah it jumped out to me that they they were talking um, about yeah their testing in New Zealand. And so they the the reference here from LinkedIn it says Boeing's uh, this is in a in a post by Whisk Boeing's Atlas program and QUT Q, Queensland University of Technology recently developed a mid-air collision MAC risk model that is helping Whisk and New Zealand aviation authorities move to a new phase of airspace integration testing. Now this is the sort of the first sort of. I guess public noise I've I've heard uh, in recent times uh, from from Whisk uh, regarding their their activities and and work in New Zealand uh, because things have been reasonably quiet yeah. on, on their front you know publicly yeah. for for some time and of course when they when we heard that they were sort of setting up operations in in New Zealand uh, in in Queensland 
um, you know, there was that immediate thought, are they pulling out of New Zealand? What's left for New Zealand? Why wouldn't they just be doing everything in New Zealand? We're an awesome place to yeah. uh, to operate. Um, but but seeing that, I, I guess, you know, just, you know, encouraging that there are things going on. Um, but also this talk around mid-year, you know, collision, um, you know, risk models and, 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 you know, I guess all the, the technologies that go in around that, um, it's, it's probably not an area we've really kind of delved into or, or thought a lot about. But, yeah, realistically, if you're moving to drones that carry people around, uh, you're going to need to get that stuff pretty right, aren't you? You, yeah. can't, you can't afford to have things, you know, flying you know, flying around and and uh, and and bumping into each other, and I mean, we 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 we're sitting here reasonably, reasonably close to to where there was a media uh, accident in in Auckland um, City, um, probably fifteen or or so uh, years back, where a helicopter and an airplane uh, you know crashed that were that were observing the um, uh, rush hour uh, traffic. So yeah, there's there's um, yeah. A bit of encouragement there that things are things are still uh, still moving forward and their ac- activity happening in New Zealand. But I'd I'd love to hear a bit more. To be fair, yeah. Well, I'd like to know more about it. I was, the the technology when you first think about it, it kind of resembles what's going on with autonomous cars. And then you think, well, no, actually, it's not because cars travel on roads, whereas um, anything in anything in the air, right? It's not only is it three dimensional, but you you're not channeled down these narrow. Where um, we're going, Bill, you don't need roads. Well, no, you don't need roads. Um, but there's a lot more space to play with. But then, of course, the consequences of anything happening are a lot more serious. Yeah. So, um, so I was I was fascinated to know just how they how you know how they're working and what they what they're doing, what kind of algorithms they're using, what are they looking for. I'd like to know all of this. Mm. So anyway, enc- encouraging to see uh, to see yeah New Zealand getting a mention. Um, interestingly, on their post, if you do follow them on LinkedIn, you click through on that. Um, yeah, it took took me a moment to to realise. Then uh, I was like, hold on, this this is this is not new. So the uh, the post linked back to a press release from more than uh, two two years ago. Uh, you know, talking about them uh, doing involved with uh, New Zealand government's airspace integration trial program. So, yeah, I guess we'll wait. Um, hopefully, we might hear a little little bit more at the Aerospace Summit, which is uh, coming up uh, next month uh, in Christchurch, uh, following their um, their Christchurch uh, Tech event, and I think they've also got a sort of innovation uh, summit prior to that. So, there's quite a bit of activity. Coming up as as far as sort of you know tech and, and innovation in uh, in Christchurch in September, uh, so we'll try and catch some of that and uh, yeah maybe we'll be able to get some some more insight into what Whisker actually uh, working on. Now uh, also from a, a New Zealand uh, perspective, Bill, uh, you read the uh, there was a, a stuff article uh, talking about new. Artificial intelligence technology to combat text scams. Well, of course there is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every other day, somebody, somebody's putting out a, a – well, probably every other minute, somebody somewhere in the world is putting out a press release about, uh, about you know, how they're using AI to, uh, yeah. to, to do something. Well, I imagine that the other side's using AI as well. I'm pretty sure that the people doing the text scamming are – 
up to their eyes in AI the, as well. The scammers will be loving the AI. No longer yeah. are they, you know, composing messages and sending them to us with all sorts of typos in them yeah. and that, you know, spelling mistakes and 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 so on. They can uh, they can run them through their uh, the generative AI to help them out. Look. It's a good idea, obviously. Anything that helps fight the, the the scammers is a good idea. But I'm really wary about le- letting AI protect me in that sense because, first of all, AI will be algorithm-based so that the scammers will obviously f- be – they'll be playing a game of like almost like a three-dimensional chess between the two teams, the, mm. the scammers and the defenders. Um, and I – wouldn't like to say which side I put my money on in that that battle. Yeah, and the other thing is is that people will have a false sense of security, perhaps if they're being protected by AI that only legitimate texts get through, and that's 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 when the real problems start. Um, and most of us, by now, most of us sort of seen one or two um, or a, a handful of um, texts. Based scams, mm. but for a long time you didn't. So the very first one you got, you you automatically assume it's legitimate because everything you've had up until that point was legitimate. Mm. Mm. Um, it was only in my case, it's only because it was just so glaringly wrong that I knew that it wasn't. But the second one I got was really quite incredible because I was just in the process of doing my uh, renewing the the, um, the car license. <laughs> when I got a reminder about my car licence by text. Okay. Um, and I was actually doing it earlier that day. So it's pretty clear. Obviously, it's pretty clear. I mean, well, actually, my immediate reaction was, was perhaps it didn't go through. Um, and then when I looked, well, I, I looked at the link and the link clearly wasn't to any New Zealand government site. It was to yes, some yeah. random thing overseas. So I didn't go any further. But the, but but that's the point. The point is, is they have that air of plausibility. The idea is, is to... Um, you know, to come up with something w- w- and catch you off guard. And th- the problem with having an AI defender is is that you're going to think, well, I'm being defended, I'm safe. And mm. Maybe you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a hard one. I, th- I mean, I think we've got uh, we've got you know quite used to having a, a lot of sort of dodgy email blocked from our inboxes. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you certainly for those that are you know, using a, any sort of r- reputable email provider of scale they've usually got a pretty good ability to uh, to, to to filter out well, uh, the junk and the scams my, my email um, is actually the opposite I have the opposite problem where I get a lot of press releases from the companies which to the to the whatever is filtering my email looks like spam so quite it's often, pretty scammy does it yeah uh, <laughs> To the algorithm, it must sort of no, think no, there's no, something no, it's not or that. just it's, junk. Some of the public relations professionals will use like emotive, um, you know, uh, words to – Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, the kind of words that scammers would use. Right, right. So, you know, if, if say, for example, a new product is being announced, they start talking about it being awesome and so on. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the word that a scammer would use, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, so I guess yeah. that's part of it. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm getting a lot of false positives. Uh, was it false positives, I think? Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting uh, challenge. Now, depending on what platform you're on, you know, today, there is a, you know, a level of blocking that we get. Yeah. Uh, on you know incoming uh, calls if they're considered um, you know dodgy and I notice that uh, when I'm on an Android device 
I notice that quite often um, that an incoming call will it'll have an alert. So I think I see it ring once and then it says, you know, uh, spam call or something yeah. like that and uh, and then and then it kicks it to the curb. Um, but both iOS uh, and Android have capabilities for uh, for blocking and and filtering uh, you know some calls and and some uh, messages. So yeah there there is a capability there and uh, I think there's an, there's an ability uh, with with some of those things to be able to um, uh, install an, an app that op, you know that talks to yeah. to. Uh, that that side of things to uh, to block things. So yeah, I think I mean it's kind of natural that uh, AI would would be part of that uh, picture for uh, looking out for for scams and, and and spam and so on through through text. Um, now also on the local front, um, One NZ have launched their eSIM uh, for for wearables, or I should say they have finally launched their eSIM for <laughs> yeah. wearables because I, I remember chatting to Jason Paris about this. Um, probably some years ago uh, now, and of course, sort of COVID, uh, the COVID period, there, yeah, there was all sorts of uh, disruption. Uh, looks like the way I'm I'm picking it anyway is that uh, they've done some sort of a marketing um, thing with with Samsung because they they're launching it in conjunction with a Samsung Galaxy Watch Six. Uh, but yeah. if you've got the technology able to work with with Samsung, um, yeah, you you would expect them to be working with Apple probably. You well, know, their announcement says that other f- watches will be added. Yeah, so you imagine that's yeah. all going to happen in, in, in yeah. reasonably quick uh, succession. But I guess that I guess they'll need to give Samsung a clear run for so many months. If that is indeed yeah. the case, yeah. or I mean, we also know that that uh, um, from varying discussions that uh, you know Apple have have some often sort of specific. Requirements from a, yeah. a testing and integration perspective, and um, you know, possibly that that uh, uh, that could take longer to to run through as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's great great to see that we're getting more more competition uh, on that front. Uh, interestingly, they're saying the uh, uh, the eSIM for wearables will be free for the first three months. And then uh, five dollars a month um, thereafter for those on pay monthly or, or yeah. business mobile plans, which is is quite a minimal extra cost to well, to be but, able to add your wearable. But right? what would the margin on that be? The margin on that would be like very high because there's there's almost no cost to the to them to provide it. So yes, it's a, yes, it's a good price, but oh, it's a great margin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm thinking of uh, wearables I've had, and in fact, yeah, I'm not going to rant at one of one of our show partners because all the telcos are our show partners, so <laughs> I, I can pick on any of them at any time, um, which is is great. And of course, they do all sorts of amazing uh, stuff uh, for for New Zealand, and we love and appreciate them. Um, but I was trying to disconnect. I was trying to work out how to disconnect. Um, uh, an Apple Watch from a, a Spark plan over the weekend, oh. and I had I've got two Apple Watches linked back to one of my Spark plans, and it was no problem to change the main Spark plan, uh, but I couldn't see how I could disconnect one of those because 
hey, most days I'm only wearing one watch, yeah. right? Um, I might have two wrists, but one one watch is enough for me. Um, so it's probably just a matter of going into their live chat and um, and and it's asking them. Trivial, but and it's and, and yeah, won't be a, won't be a big deal. But I was like. Why is it not here in the, in the user interface? But it's probably it's trivial, one of those obscure, one of those obscure enough things yeah. that isn't important enough for them to actually build it in. Because as you were talking, yeah, sort of talking, well, there's a low cost to running those, but it's it's not a high percentage of the population yeah. that needs to, uh, you know, needs to have a wearable plan. I'm sure that will that will keep increasing. Um, but uh, yeah, good good to see uh, more of that rolling. eSIMs just becoming the the norm across the the networks. Well, and it's interesting that um, I think in North America now, phones, pretty much all phones are eSIM phones. I don't think they have. I'm pretty sure that uh, certainly all Apple phones don't have the, no longer have the SIM slot. Um, but I think that's starting to apply to all phones in North America now. So um, we'll be at that point quite soon, I would imagine. Yeah, it's rather interesting because it reminds me of the days before, well, and before GSM phones, because the the exciting thing around, and I still remember the TV program Beyond Two Thousand, oh, gotcha. uh, that uh, that told us about this incredible new phenomena, the the global system for mobiles, GSM, which you know, of course, all our networks are kind of a derivative of uh, these days, and this 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 idea that you could put this uh, SIM into your phone, you can go into another country and just change in its SIM and uh, and and so on. Because before that, your phone had to be kind of registered with the network. Yeah. And yeah. in some ways, that's what it feels like we're going back to with with eSIMs. It's kind of like your well, your phone is is being connected with the network well, the without, without the physical yeah, right, uh, I mean, chips. So it's yeah. it's kind of funny how it's, we go it's through these times. It's not that long ago when all phones were network connected here in New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, yeah, good good things going on in in the in the world of communications in New Zealand. Now let's talk about international. This this news from the Cyberspace Administration of China is potentially huge, Bill. So they they've proposed this draft policy that suggests limiting miners in terms of access to phones. Now you know if we look in in New Zealand homes. There is probably you know variances in in different homes, whether it's a free for all, whether it's hey you know teaching youngsters to be responsible, easier said than done, I might add. <laughs> um, you know whether there are mechanisms to kind of you know block access to these devices. Then we've got you know school situations where often phones aren't allowed. So what we've got is a, a two hour limit for teenagers aged. 16 to what well, says over 16 and under 18. Yeah. And then for uh, those who are between 8 and 16, they'd be limited to one hour of, of uh, screen time. Phone and, time. Uh, of pho- yeah, phone time on the, on the um, yeah, phone screen time. And then children under 8, 40, 40 minutes a day, uh, and no one under 18 able to access uh, phone, phone screens between 10 p.m. and and 6 a.m. There's, there's also some restrictions over what different age groups can do. So I think young children are only allowed to watch, uh, to enjoy, as they say in the, um, advertising, they're only allowed to enjoy movies and um, songs and 
it changes with the age groups as well, the, the um, actual nature of what people can do um, with their hour or their two hours or whatever. But, yeah, it's quite strict. Well, um, for a start, first thing, my first thought on that is, well, you can tell that China is not a democracy yeah, because it would be a really tough thing to get away with when you're, um, you, you're a government that's got to be, you know, when you're an elected government. It's, it's the kind of thing you can do relatively easy if you're a totalitarian state. It's also there's precedent for this in China because they have similar rules about uh, young people playing video games. But we've got to remember that this, this what we're talking about, this is a proposal. It's not actually mm, policy mm, yet. Yeah. But the same organisation was the organisation which proposed the ban on playing video games for long hours and um, that went through. So it, so the chances are it will go through. There is some leeway, but there is, there is, if you, if you dive down into the story, you'll see that there is some leeway for parents to um, override. Override, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not entirely clear how much of that. And the way it works in China is that quite often there's pressure for parents to not do that, that's not necessarily voiced. You know, it's, it's, it's just there's that little bit of pressure in the background. Um, it's quite drastic. The hours, the hour restriction is quite drastic. I mean, how many hours do you think you spend on a phone? Um, no, no comment, Bill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't spend that much when I'm working at home because I'm sitting. That's because I'm sitting in front of one of these. But, things. but we often tend to juggle our devices, though, yeah. too, don't we? Yeah. And I read something the other day, which it was actually quite head scratching to me. But it, this particular piece suggested that. Over 50% of the time that we spend on a computer is also spent on a mobile device. So it's like a lot of context switching and, oh, my computer's doing this, so I'll look at my screen. Um, and maybe I misread it or misinterpreted it, but certainly, I mean, yeah, there are times it's like, oh, I'll look at that while something is happening on, on say, my computer uh, screen. But maybe more so when you're in front of TV-type scenario, you'll – You'll you know look bits and pieces yeah. up and so on uh, at times, but but often the the phone is you know is just it's it's out of the way and not being used. So I was a little bit skeptical of those uh, those figures, but I guess that a sort of big question for me here because there's as you've said, you know certain regimes you can get things through that you know you you might not be able to get through uh, and and to play in a in a democratic um, you know country, but. Are what they do is what they're doing actually something that could make a big difference well, a generation or so yes. from now? Do you do you end up building, you know, the the type of youngster who is more balanced in different ways, whether it's social skills, thinking skills, you know, there's a whole range yeah. of sort of downsides of spending too much time on a screen, at least for some people. No, very, um, very, know, very much so. I think that's very much the case. I mean, the the other story which you have on the list, which we were going to move on to, but I think is connected, is, is quite closely connected, is the UNESCO uh, move. And UNESCO's recommended that schools ban um, mobile devices in school. Globally. Yeah, right? globally. Yeah. And that's that UNESCO is part of the United Nations. It's actually their cultural um, and educational um, body of the United Nations, and um, that recommendation is is based off. The, there's been a lot of research, and it's it's 
the number one reason is because of um, there's they have evidence that the more kids use their phones and mobile devices during school, the less they do less well they're doing at school, the less they're learning. Um, they're being distracted and they're not they're not learning what they're at school to do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is um, and so schools which. There are schools which ban these devices. They they tend to have much better educational results than the schools that don't. Which so it starts to look like there is a pattern emerging. Um, but the second justification that UNESCO mentions is that it's good for the mental health of young people. And so I was so my immediate thought was, well, if it's good for young people's mental health to not have this, what about the rest of us? I mean. We don't suddenly sort of we don't have a sort of mental health switch that goes on and off at the age of eighteen. So clearly, you know, there are mental health implications, or we know for sure there are mental health implications. Not necessarily because of the phones themselves, but from the apps that are on the phones. So, I mean, if if you have a phone and you never touch Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any or Pinterest or any of those things, you, you may have better. You know, it could be that those are the mental health problems rather than getting a text message from your mum telling you to meet her at the school gates, you know, th- th- there are issues there. But if, if mental health, and, and the Chinese talk about the mental health aspects of this too mm, in, in, mm. Um, with their rules, if that mental health is so important and such a big influence on young people, then surely it's an influence on, uh, it's something all of us should be concerned about. Mm. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's a big, there's a big, impact you know potentially if they land on something that makes a makes a much broader yeah. impact on on society now whether it's the right way to mandate it and you know if 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 there was any any suggestions down any of these tracks in in New Zealand by any government then nanny state and you know all these sort of you know terms oh, protests, terms would yeah. would come out yeah. and there would be you know there'd be all sorts of um you know all sorts of pushback but if you sort of step back and look at well, you know, is there is there some um, some wisdom to this? I think there's certainly wisdom to thinking around how we use technology, what technology we use, uh, you know, yeah. when when we use it. Is there you know right context? How we educate around you know good and or appropriate and inappropriate uh, use of technology. I mean, I th- I think of my time as a uh, as a teenager, and I spent a lot, you know, a lot of time around a screen, a lot more than, you know, most, because a lot of homes didn't, you know, didn't have computers at that stage, and we certainly didn't have uh, smart smart smartphones at, at that point. In fact, I, I can remember, um, and I don't know whether this was a, a one-off case, but I remember uh, maybe you know sleeping through a maths class because I'd I'd been up so late the night before. Whether I was coding or gaming or you know yeah. whatever uh, at, well, at that stage, but um, but mostly I think you know my time on the screen was was you know was probably pretty good for me and set me up to move in move into to the workforce quite quickly. But of course that's not always the case. Um, but there, there there is that flip side to hey, there's a downside of using the wrong apps and, and so on. But also there's the potential, well, if you've got kids that spend a lot less time on their devices, uh, does that mean they never get beyond sort of games and things like that and into learning to code and, yeah. and the sorts of things that might give them job skills? So it's maybe not as, you know, not super clear cut. No, it, it, it's not. And uh, there, uh, the UNE- by the way, the UNESCO recommendation is there are exceptions for some types of children. So there's 
there are exceptions if you're teaching technology, mm. then you can mm. use the, the devices. Um, there are exceptions for certain types of disabled children um, who may need them. The thing that, that occurred to me when I was, was going through these stories was mm. that it sounds like draconian, and um, but it could actually be benign, mm. as you mentioned. It could be it could be good for people. Um, and so, what is what would be the right limit? Well, you know, we don't know, do we? But um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm slightly uneasy about the way that China's doing this. I don't like this. I don't like those edicts of that nature. It seems just a little bit too just a little bit too intrusive into people's lives. Yeah, and and yeah, this is where in order to put those things in place, you have to have yeah, state-sponsored technology sitting across devices yeah. and it, it gets uh, it gets very very intrusive and and you know, you you facilitate more and more things that can be tied into a, you know, a social scoring system and, yeah. oh, as a parent, you know, and, and we'll often see this in, in, in families. I know it's the case of mine. You know, one parent will be will maybe be, you know, keener to, to limit screen time. Uh, you know, yeah. another parent will be like, no, no, you, yep, yep, yep. No, you do do what, do what well, you like and so on. So you could tie that back to scoring and then you'll find one parent can't get to work because – They've uh, been too generous with their kids' screen time. It's impacted their social score, yeah. and they, they can't get on the train well, or something. And, and, and you've also, the other thing I, I think is that I'm guessing, right? That the, the the I'm guessing the thinking behind this in China to to a degree is that the kids that will spend less time with their phones, less time playing computer games, and more more time with their heads in their books doing their studies. Right. But our books are our screens today. Yeah, I know. I, 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 but you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, I, think, I think they yeah, think yeah. that yeah. the kids yeah. will get yeah. on with their studies yeah. right, rather than have fun with these devices and so on. right? But what if that's not what they do? What if they go out graffitiing or, you know, or causing mayhem on the streets and so on? There's that aspect to it too. I mean, maybe, maybe that's how it works in China. Maybe they do regulate every moment of people's lives. Maybe, that's, maybe that is what the thinking is. But I don't know. I, don't, I can't see that working outside of a regime like China. I can't see that working in a Western democracy. Mm. Well, we'll see how it plays out. But it, it does seem that you know often these these um, you know things that get proposed in China will you know will move through and and you know and come to uh, come to be law. But it, it's one of those scenarios that probably takes a lot of years. Uh, when you know after it is put in place uh, to see whether it has you know some sort of big impact on on uh, the economy certainly well, and, well and on, on it has already had an impact lives, on right? the economy because the share price of all those Chinese tech companies plummeted on the news oh those selling kids games and and, uh, and no kids companies apps? like Tencent and um, the the online companies, right. WeChat and Tencent. Well, I guess there's an element of yeah. their businesses uh, that, that are tied up very much in, in gaming. And there's and so an aspect on. of yeah. this we haven't talked about, which we, we sh- I should perhaps mention, and that is is that this isn't this isn't a sort of voluntary thing. There's going to be an app which you have on the phone. It, yeah. They're talking about something which they call minor mode. And minor mode is something which the phone manufacturers have to include in their phones, in their phone's operating system sell them in China. So it'll be on Apple's and Samsung's and um, in China they'll still be buying Huawei phones. 
and it'll have this minor mode and the minor mode is what regulates this so it's actually right. hard coded into the phone but it's being regulated well that's actually an imposition on the phone I mean, for a start, it's an, it's an imposition on the phone manufacturers because you're starting to say, well, if you're going to sell phones in China, you've got to start putting these things into the operating system, which I think is possibly going to have an impact beyond – I mean, I, I can't see China saying, okay, well, we won't sell you any more phones because the Chinese market is just way mm, too mm, big and too mm, lucrative. Mm, mm, but it is going to have an impact on, on those um, – uh, you know, on the industry. Um, around those things. It's going to have an impact on the um, the Chinese phone companies. I mean, China Mobile, for example, um, are, are they going to have a plan which allows for kids to have two hours a day, mm, mm, you know, as opposed mm, to a 24-hour plan? I don't – Yeah, I can see problems there and I can see also problems. Oh, sorry, one more problem that I can see, I'm sorry to bash on about this, is that if, say – Assuming that the kids are not going to be able to do this during school time, they can't do it from 10 p.m. or 6 a.m., that means that possibly means that the cell towers are going to be overloaded during the evenings when they are allowed on because that's, you know, when they've got to concentrate all their use into those those times. So there are implications which go way beyond the the obvious um, in this yeah, yeah, it's 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 quite uh, quite fascinating when you when you peel back uh, when you peel back the layers and look, there, you know, there have already been things that have had to go into place, uh, you know, in in China to, um, I guess, to you know, to please the uh, the the regime uh, there, and I think with AirDrop, which is sort of wireless, you know, sharing yes. capability yeah. on iOS. Um, you know, Apple were, um, you know, I guess put in a position where uh, they they adjusted uh, how how that sort of anonymous sharing uh, might work in China because it uh, yeah facilitated a, a level of sharing that um, the Chinese Communist Party I'm I'm picking maybe weren't so keen on so yeah, um, yeah that that could well, sort of facilitate protests and you know and also uh, banned pictures of so Winnie on. the Pooh as well. Oh, you've got to ban Winnie the Pooh, Bill. No, no more uh, English uh, content. That's no, not that. It's because Winnie the Pooh is a metaphor for the, uh, the Chinese president. Oh, um, okay. So, so there are cartoons of Winnie the Pooh doing things, and it's you're meant to oh, dear. know. Oh dear! Oh dear! Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Glad you explained that one. Um, yeah. So, look, I think some interesting times ahead. You know, there is the potential with with some of these sorts of things that a government that doesn't have to sort of please a, or sway a voting public uh, can put in place that in some cases yeah, could have some positive uh, impacts over the, the longer term. Most of us that live in democratic countries are not going to be saying, hey, this is, this is, this is a good thing. No, well, that's sort of two I think, but with the school ban, Finland and Holland – or the Netherlands, I forget whether you call them Netherlands or I the think Holland, Netherlands, these, yeah, days, but, Netherlands but, these days. Netherlands these days, Part yeah. of Netherlands is um, Holland, isn't it? Anyway, the, they are bringing that in as a uh, as a rule at the next during the next school term. Britain and France are considering implementing something similar, and some other European countries are looking at it too. Um, at the moment, there's no plans to make that a law. It's just going to be like a, a, a recommendation or a rule or yeah, something. Yeah, as I think a lot of schools have to do, um, right? But yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot yeah, of schools are already yeah, doing that. Yeah. But it, but it will, it 
they're, they're saying in, um, in the Netherlands that it could become law if necessary. Now, what do you make of Zoom asking their staff to return to the office? So yeah. this, this <laughs> one, I think, has, has been a bit of a mind-bender uh, for those that have been reading the media coverage that you 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 think of you know zoom hey if any company should be yeah the absolute undisputed leaders of remote work you would think uh, zoom might be that company and, the and flag bearer but the problem no. is is that if if zoom if zoom is through this through this ruling telling the world that we can't make it work efficiently that's saying terrible things about their product to their customers, isn't it? I'm not sure it's so much about product. I, th- I mean, to me, it's it's about you know human nature. Yeah. It's about some people like to work remotely. Some people like to like to have the sort of camaraderie and and you know socialness of of being around. And they're calling it a structured hybrid approach and they're saying that employees who live near an office need to be on site two days a week so it's it's not that's not crazy no it's not crazy it's not and it's not too hard but it but it's still a weird message to send to your customers right because you are sending a message saying okay for the last x years we've been telling you how great remote working is yeah. and now we're telling you it's still great but it's not so great that we're going to commit to it fully ourselves and that's um, that's definitely a it's definitely a confused message to their market if nothing else realistically what you just what you just described and, I, and I've read the stories too it, it's perfectly sensible I mean for people to be a for people to work be working remotely all the time I mean it's just not good for you anyway it's well, because it depends where you are, doesn't it? And I think that the fact that they're taking that into account, yeah. Because look, if you are if you are two hours drive from an office, well, it's fifty miles. Um, they say in America, and fifty miles probably is two hours. Then, then, yeah. They, I mean, there must come there must yeah. come a point where the the impact of that as a certainly as something to do every day, uh, yeah, doesn't doesn't probably stack up that well, but. There's there's value in still having the in person you know yeah, type type things and and I think most organisations uh, you know have have juggled that and if they haven't found what's right for them they're they're certainly on a Look, on a journey. It's I think it's perfectly legitimate to ask people to be in two days a week. I, I think it's actually quite sensible, um, but it's just odd that it's Zoom doing so and it's it yeah. does it doesn't square with their their sales pitch. Okay. Now, this is probably the big story. Everyone didn't really think we were going to talk about it, uh, Bill. Oh. And, uh, you know, but but we we have to. Um, Mark versus Mark Zuckerberg uh, versus Elon Musk. Uh, it kind of looks as – it looks a little bit like uh, Musk – you know, could could be a no show. There's you know, there's a there's a date of uh, August the twenty sixth that um, uh, yeah. Zuckerberg has uh, has has proposed. Um, Musk is uh, is saying, well, he's he's lifting some weights while he's uh, while he's working. Yeah. Um, big age difference, big challenges. Uh, what would it do for the tech world if um, you know we had a 
uh, a Zucker punch on Musk and uh, and it took him out. He was no longer able to uh, lead his companies. Boy, he runs Twitter like he's punch drunk already, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, but ser- seriously, it's pathetic that their egos should come to this. It's a bizarre thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just is. I mean, could you imagine Bill Gates going head-to-head with Steve Jobs? No, it's... It wouldn't have happened, would it? Not, not in public, anyway. No, no. I mean, yeah, no. But, you know, yeah. possibly under certain circumstances, something like that could have happened in a in a in a private setting. But yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> probably um, not. I'm, I'm look, exaggerating there too. It's it's silly, but it's 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 a silly story by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, and it's the, but the the thing about the thing about this that absolutely gets me is that. Zuckerberg is 13 years younger than Musk. I think we worked it out. He's yeah, 52. 39 versus 52. Yeah. Um, he certainly looks like he's a lot fitter and um, able to come. And apparently he's been doing martial arts for years. What happens if they really do have a serious fight? And it's, it's, as you say, it's, it's quite possible that one of them could end up um, unable to do anything afterwards. Mm, um, mm. These things do end up that way. It's not, and it's not a good look for either company, really. I was just looking up when George Foreman had his sort of, you know, second go at being the um, world was it heavyweight, heavyweight champion, uh, yeah. you know, champion. The battle of the ages, uh, Evander Holyfield versus George Foreman. Looks like, yeah, he was about forty. So yeah, oh, a very a very big difference. It's one thing to be forty in your forties and be a professional mm. boxer. It's another thing to be in your forties and be someone who's sat behind a desk pretty much for the last twenty odd years. Oh, it was forty five. So yeah. that he didn't. So it was actually forty at forty five that he beat uh, Michael Mora uh, to become the oldest heavyweight champion of yeah. the world. But but still, yeah, Musk's uh, yeah, well, well past that. So, and it, and it's not like he's been spent the last twenty years in a gym, is it? So, <laughs> um, I don't know. I look, I don't think it's going to end well. But I, I, actually, um, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, "What do you think is going to happen with Elon Musk?" And I don't think Elon Musk's story is going to end well. I think he will probably end up. I think he will. His story will end with him being rich still. But I just don't think he's a happy man, and I don't think he's going to end. His story's going to end well. Well, riches aren't always the uh, answer to happiness, are no. they? So we will we will leave it at that. Uh, it's been great to catch up, Bill, and um, I will still watch uh, watch if if there's a if there's a fight on. I don't know about a pay per view. I'm not sure I'd be paying for a, a fight like that. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it's some sort of twisted would it be on uh, form of entertainment if it were on. I don't think it will be on Sky Sports. <laughs> It's just bizarre that we're even talking about this, isn't it? Yeah, it, I mean, it is so uh, such an such an odd, odd thing. But anyway, we uh, we will see how it plays out. But they've certainly got us talking about them uh, yet again. Uh, these um, tech bros, tech billionaires, whatever you want to call them. Um, well, thanks for joining us again on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, Bill. You're welcome. Um, where should people be looking to see your your latest uh, uh, content. You've got billbennett.co.nz is my site. It's Excellent. now I now do a weekly newsletter every Friday, which is probably the bulk of my of what goes on the site now. Yeah, great. it's usually stories during the week, but that's mm-hmm. the, that's the big day. Um, 
I'm still I kind of hanging on Twitter. I don't really spend much time there anymore. Um, but I'm playing with some other things. I've been trying out something called T2, which is a, a, a Twitter replacement, which, which is r- really nice. But it just doesn't have the the reach or the mm, mm. the size that Twitter had. Um, and I've also been looking at something called Mastodon as well, mm. which is same thing really. But Mastodon's Mastodon's odd. Mm, mm. Oh well, we know where to look out for you anyway. Uh, so thank you for that, and of course thank you to our show partners, to Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, Two Degrees, and One NZ. Uh, we really appreciate their uh, support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, And just a reminder, if you're listening to the audio podcast, make sure that you've got access to to get alerts around the the live stream, which which most weeks we do tend to live stream. Uh, So you can get that through X. Uh, We have an NZ Tech Podcast handle on X, uh, previously known as Twitter. Uh, Are we we actually calling it X now? (laughs) Well, I'm trying to get used to this new name, even though it's still at Twitter.com, isn't it? Yeah. Also on... Uh, YouTube, so you can find NZ Tech Podcast on there, uh, on Facebook, uh, and for the LinkedIn st- stream, uh, you can find that uh, just by following myself, Paul Spain, on uh, on LinkedIn. And of course, if you're watching the video, go and find a podcast app, whether it's you know Spotify or something else, uh, and you'll be able to um, follow and and subscribe free to NZ Tech Podcast there. All right, we'll catch you again next week, and thanks again, Bill. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.